I'm K.S. Garner, and you're listening to the Solo Nerdfuck Podcast. Today, I'll be speaking with the multi-hyphenate artist and entrepreneur, James Church, a.k.a. Enoch the Poet, the creator and writer of Immortal Dark Manga, founder of Black Mind Publishing, and co-host of the Broke, Black, and Busy Podcast. Welcome, Enoch. What's good? What's good? <laughs> well, outside my introduction, who is Enoch the Poet in his own words? Oh, um, in my own words, uh, I am a creative advocate for the progression of mental health, specifically as it relates to Black people and our physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being. I think that's me in a nutshell. I'm trying to be a safe space for as many people of color as I possibly can. Yeah, I think mental health specifically in marginalized communities is really important. Um, I've, I've dived into mental health a little bit on this show. Um, I believe it's like the fourth or fifth episode where I did the uh, mental health benefits of gaming. So yeah. mental health and in relation to gaming and how it affects us mentally, whether we use it as maybe a crutch or as a way to release our emotions or channel them in a nonviolent way. Um, it can be maybe like through Call of Duty or through like Fortnite or Animal Crossing, Stardew Valley. I remember, um, if I remember correctly, it was like a study they did with people who had like, not insomnia, but it was some type of sleep disorder that they had and they used Tetris to help oh, with it. So like how I guess they can remember, if they play for a long period of time, they can remember the patterns Mm -hmm. of it helps them with their memory so that's why yeah but like i said it's like deep in the archive it's like like i said you gotta go far down to find it um and i want to try to do another one with um i know i know a couple people who are social workers and i know i think one person who is actually a psychologist so i would like to get them on here because we play um tabletop games so maybe they can help with trying to, I guess, help me express how it works, like from my perspective as a player and then their perspective as someone in that field of study. Yeah, so. yeah. which is, uh, that commentary is, is always dope to have. I did, a, um, I did a poetry show in 2020 with Temple um and a good homie of mine and uh we had a therapist um who I knew through my partner at the time um and she basically would talk in between each uh feature set and just talk about some of the things that were discussed in their poem talk about like ways that you can cope in a healthy manner if you're dealing with some of the things that came up in the poem and just like giving like that other perspective to like the creative thing that was happening um, and everything in some fashion, whether we're conscious of it or not ties into mental health. It's just, we don't always have the language for it. So like having mm -hmm. someone there that can like connect those dots is always dope. Yeah. 
So let's start off with Immortal Dark Manga. So what is the manga actually about? I know there's a Kickstarter out right now, but yeah. unfortunately the episode, this episode won't air until like later afterwards. But what is the uh, manga about? Yeah, so Immortal Dark um, is a Black supernatural martial arts manga that centers on uh, Nico Savage, who has returned to his home after a couple years to get revenge on his sister, River Savage, for stealing the opportunity to murder their father from him. Um, the, the, the crux of the story centers on the relationship dynamics between Nico, his sister, and their father, who is, who is dead when the story starts. Um, but the supporting, and I use supporting loosely, uh, characters, because um, they also have like large roles, are very important as well. And all of it is centered on mental health. Um, I was really trying to be intentional about providing all the things that fans of like anime and manga, including myself, uh, enjoy, like, you know, when I'm watching Naruto or reading My Hero Academia, like including all those elements, but having them all tying back to the mental health aspect in some way, because I think that is one of the things that I don't necessarily feel fulfilled in when I am absorbing a lot of anime and manga content. And because I do so much studying around mental health, it's literally like, in my nature to think about things through that lens. And so Immortal Dark was kind of my venture into one, uh, ten, making tangible like my passion for anime and manga, but then two, like seeing what does it look like to tell a story that provides all these things, but from the element that I always feel like is missing when I am absorbing them. Mm -hmm. So in Immortal Dark, um, let's just say in the first issue, since the second issue is up on Kickstarter right now. So in the first issue, has any readers caught on to any mental health um, tidbits or anything like that? Like, how do you display um, mental health in the manga in a way that people can actually recognize? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's been, it's been really interesting because people are picking up on a lot of things and some of it is not even stuff I was like, consciously doing um so like chapter one opens um with this dialogue on agency um which that was intentional um it opens with this dialogue on agency that basically talks about how when we experience trauma it can cause us to believe that our agency has been taken away but really the agency doesn't go anywhere we always have the power is just the fact that the trauma distorts our ability to see it right and so I could go through the example um because I pulled this quote from an interview I did uh with one of my homies uh Kai Davis who was a really a really dope poet in the Philadelphia area um and she was doing a, a interview project on survivors of um sexual assault which I am one and um in the interview she asked me um the interview, the whole interview was about the healing process. And I had that commentary on agency in there, which I then um, put into the intro of the manga. 
Um, and that very much is kind of the thesis for most of the characters' experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wanted to start the manga with that because I think it's a great way to set up. Basically, I'm providing the lens through which you should look at everything else through, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the rest of the chapter kind of focuses on River because she is such a pivotal character, but she is not going to get as much um, camera time, so to speak, as Nico, of course, because he is like the main protagonist. So I wanted to do the story in a way where like people could get that engagement first. Um, and in an interview I had with uh, Grandmaster Facts, he had brought up like there's small comments that River makes throughout her fight because the most of the first chapter is like her championship defense um, because she is the champion of this uh, brutal sport called the Immortal Fighting Coalition, which is basically like UFC, but with like spiritual powers. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are like small comments that she has that basically alludes to her upbringing, her past and like all these things. And I wrote those things just because like I'm building character, um, but he was breaking down to me like how he could see that connection to like mental health how it plays into like how her character looks and like all these things. Um, and so I really intentionally and unintentionally, I try to have every chapter have like a thesis statement. And I try to make sure that all the characters are designed in a way that alludes to their history and not just like who they currently are. Um, I'm very big on like, figuring out the world by being dropped in the middle of it instead of like a lot of the long uh, exposition that we can see sometimes in like comics and anime and manga. Um, And so a lot of it is kind of like you figure it out as you go when you're absorbing the world. But because of that, um, hopefully my goal was for it to kind of have the same feelings when you're like going down your mental health process and learning about yourself right and it's like one moment you have this one idea of yourself and then something happens or you get some new information about your past and it recontextualizes everything and I'm trying to tell the story in that same way where in all the chapters there are things coming up and they have a meaning when you first see them but then there's more information that comes out that shifts that understanding and then everything just starts to like fall into place in a very specific way uh-huh so I'm assuming that the manga is going to be published through your Black Mind Publishing. Is that correct? Yep. Okay. So how did how did that come about creating the publishing company? You know, mm-hmm. and, and what are some of the, I guess, positives and negatives that come with owning your own publishing imprint? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, back in 2020... I had finished my most recent uh, collection of poems, Burned at the Roots, um, which is available on Amazon or whatever. Um, And I was looking for somewhere that could publish me uh, because my first book, The Guide to John and I had self-published. And I was like, this time I want to go a more traditional route so I can get that experience and get that exposure, so on and so forth. Um, But with poetry, and it may be like this with other with other literary genres, but poetry is what I have the most experience with. Uh, with poetry, when it comes to like getting your manuscript published, 
it is a pretty arduous um, process. Uh, most publishing houses that deal with poetry specifically do like submission calls and then you pay a fee to submit. And then, you know, it could take anywhere from six months to a year and a half before you ever hear anything back, right? Oh, wow. And if you know, if you're really trying to get your work out there quickly, you're going to submit to multiple publishing houses, which is multiple publishing fees. And it all starts to like add up. Um, and most of these publishing houses, unfortunately, um, can have a very academic approach to poetry. And what I mean by that is like, there isn't always much space for people who write in like a black vernacular, um, like I do. Like you will hear the word nigga in my poems and sometimes, and I, I go, I like switch back and forth between like very like high imaginative language and then just like regular slang, you feel me? Um, and there isn't always a reception for that from a lot of the publishing houses, especially like the more notable ones. Um, and then when I tried to find uh, Black-owned publishing companies, I just wasn't having that much luck. And so my homie, uh, Tommy, who is the editor for Immortal Dark and also the co-host of Broke Black and Busy with me, uh, he didn't even know I was, at least to my knowledge, he didn't know I was trying to get my manuscript picked up. And he just like off the cuff sent me a video um, from Earn Your Leisure, which is like a... Uh, YouTube channel ran by these two like black finance guys and they give like really amazing information out and in the video he sent me it was this dude talking about a black guy talking about how he started his own publishing company and he was breaking it down and I was like yo this shit is really easy and before jumping into poetry uh, like before I, I even moved to Philadelphia where I, I live now I'm originally from Wilmington and while I was there I was um I had like a whole rap group right and I did like a lot of the digital media related stuff so like music videos were shot by me and one of my homies a lot of the video editing was done by me a lot of like the album covers and stuff was done by me so I have like a I have a expen expansive self-taught background with digital media. And so I'm like, all right, I understand poetry business uh, to what I would say is like a good extent. Um, I have some surface knowledge of publishing as it relates to like books in general. I have a digital media skill set, which definitely lends itself to using InDesign and like all the things I would need to format books. Mm -hmm. um, and I had already at that time been in a process of facilitating my own career as an artist because I don't have like a nine to five I do this like full time and so I was like yo I feel like I have enough skills to not only start a publishing company but be able to do it in a way that sets other black creatives up to be able to springboard off of whatever it is they're making so that they can have a sustainable career um so I basically just followed the steps that homie laid out in the video. And I wish I could remember what the guy's name was. Um, ran it, I wrote out like a business plan, ran it by a couple of my poetry homies. Um, they were like, yo, this sounds dope. Made myself a logo and uh, got the business license, all that stuff set up. And then, you know, I was, I was on a go from there. 
And so after that, I published my manuscript, Burned at the Roots. And I had been working on, I've been trying to come up with a manga for a while. Uh, and once I finally settled on Immortal Dark, um, I was like, yeah, I think it makes the most sense to do it with uh, my publishing company um, as opposed to like anywhere else, especially because I didn't know, I don't even know any American-based like manga publishers for real, for mm -hmm. real. So yeah, it kind of just worked out. Uh huh. So how did you settle on the artist to for for your manga? Who? So that <laughs> that was a process um, because of course I don't draw, um, and there are so many different art styles that you can go with. Um, when I initially got together all the character outlines, um, I worked with this dude, um, Camo, out of, I want to say the French islands. Don't quote me on that, though, but it is somewhere where they speak French, for mm -hmm. sure. Um, and he did all of the initial turnarounds for me for, like, the main cast. And then I basically took that, I took those initial turnarounds and I just went and started working with like a bunch of different artists to just see what the characters could look like in different art styles. And I was just getting like regular commissions from them sometimes of like action poses, sometimes of just like standing, da 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 da. And that was kind of helping me get a sense of like, what would I ideally want the manga to look like when I finally find like a sequential artist. Mm -hmm. Then I found uh, Ordeal. Um, by Brent Gray, which is um, a webcomic on Webtoons, which I highly recommend. He's a, a Black Caribbean artist. And he has like this mix between like realism and manga style that I think is like fucking flawless. Um, so I was like, I, I think this would be the pinnacle of what I want it to look like. And then there's like a bunch of things in between. So when um, when it finally came time for me to start illustrating chapter one. And I didn't want to start illustration until I read, wrote out the whole first season. Uh, so the whole first season is done, which is 14 chapters. Um, and I did that as just like a way to hold myself accountable, pretty much of just like, if I start this, I, one, I don't want to be in a rush to tell the story. And two, I want to make sure that it's something that I have longevity with. And so being able to finish the first season was like, all right, I can do this like type of thing. Um, so I went through all of the artists that I followed on IG and I kind of comprised the list of the ones I liked the most. I liked the most. I sat down with Tommy and then we kind of just like ran the gambit of like reaching out. Um, we got like some sample pages done, which came out really well. But um, ultimately we landed on Sydney Lugo, who is the, the artist for chapter one. Um, he did the page, the sample page that we liked uh, the second best, the one we liked the first best, he wasn't, um, he wasn't willing to do like a long form project. Mm. And so Sydney was like, yeah, I'm down. Um, and it was cool because he's a black dude out of Boston. So he's like, not necessarily local, but not super far either. Um, and I think he did a phenomenal job with chapter one. Uh, chapter two does have a different artist. Um, and I think we're still figuring out who will be the, the official main artist. Cause 
because it's such a longer project, I think uh, a lot of times it's really just like a commitment thing and not like, not in a way of like artists don't want to commit, but more so in a way of like, they're doing this for their livelihood as well. And taking on a longer project impacts how many other things they can do and how much time they can um, spend on that. And, you know, I'm not operating off of like a large company budget, right? So I definitely understand it and don't take it personal, but it also lends to like, us not necessarily always having the same artist for every issue either. Uh huh. So you mentioned Tommy, your your editor, and he's also the co-host of uh, Broke, Black, and Busy. So what is it that you two typically discuss on this show together? Yeah. So uh, so Broke, Black, and Busy really is kind of just like what everyday conversations are like for me and Tommy. Um, we met through uh, a mutual friend, uh, Jasmine Hawkins. She is the president and founder of Urgent 365, which is a nonprofit in Philadelphia. And Tommy was their vice president and I operated as their creative director. Um, so like I built their website and handled like show promo and like artist bookings and all that stuff. Um, and we, we met through that um, and then you know, just by meeting regularly, being in proximity, we'd be having conversations, we align on a lot of different things when it comes to just like trying to divorce from toxic masculinity, the social constructs of, of all that shit, um, you know, not embodying all these horrible phobias that niggas run rampant with, like on a regular basis, you feel me? Like we are, we are both very much like anti- um, predominant culture and we will be having these conversations like after um, organization meetings and stuff and then jazz one day was just like yo you should y'all should just record these because I feel like y'all are saying stuff that people want to hear and so Tommy was like we sat on it for a couple of days and he was like yeah let's uh let's start this podcast so really we'd be talking about everything but a lot of it if I had to zero it down, a lot of it does deal with our experiences as cisgender, heterosexual Black men trying to separate from all of the things that are telling us it's okay to be harmful, for real, for real, like to put it plainly. And like us talking about our very transparent processes of navigating those things what those things bring up for us um and you know things that we think not only apply to us but applies to anybody who is born under the patriarchy because you don't necessarily have to be a man to be a misogynist um so yeah yeah i definitely think that is needed because we get we have so much in the podcast um i guess market that's overly saturated with a lot of toxicity as far as like relationship stuff that goes and 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 how you're supposed to behave and hypothetical situations that kind of like get out of hand it's like mm -hmm. oh what like what is that like a lot of you I'm the stuff that I hear is like you really like that or is this probably like <laughs> your is this supposed to be like your your media personality and you're not really like that in real life and it's like i know one of them the whole thing with russell wilson and um 
that I guess he not a, a masculine enough guy because he don't treat his wife like shit. This is what you're trying to say. <laughs> that he adores his wife. Like, what are y'all and that Sierra only with him for money? I know that's an old, that's an old thing from a couple of months ago, but it's still like ingrained in my head. Like Sierra yeah. has her own money and I need that man for bread. No, Mike. she don't. Like, what are y'all talking about? Like, he adores his wife. This is a, a, but are you all not used to seeing a black couple together in a healthy relationship, or at least publicly, it's a healthy relationship? We don't really know what goes on behind the scenes, but like, still, like, because he don't treat her like shit because he like don't have a bunch of kids by different people. And it's what are y'all crazy. talking about? What is going on? It'd be crazy, and like. And like Paying for dates and stuff like two hundred dollar dates. It's like, well, some people like that, and some people like having Caesar's Pizza in Seven Eleven parking lot. Like, it's not yeah. <laughs> absolutely. And it'd be killing me specifically, specifically with like the very conditioned, like gender roles or non negotiable, like people. Where it's like. I, I hear I hear so many men talk about having to do these certain things or women only wanting them for money and like all these things. And it's like, well, one, what is the first thing that you're presenting? Because that is going to be what people identify with your character as. Mm-hmm. So if you're leading with money first, you also can't be surprised if someone is dating with your money at the forefront of their mind. And then two, it's like, how active are you at choosing different partners right like so many of us handle relationships in like this really passive way where it's like it's it's weird because we're almost conditioned to like move in the opposite direction like men are are basically taught like just acquire as many women as possible regardless of of if you feel like they meet your needs or if y'all get along or not it's just like just acquire as many as possible and then you know women are are taught by like you know whatever the the structural conditions are of just like you know you don't make the first move type of thing right and so it's just like all this all this lack of discernment and then they form relationship advice off of this shit and give it to people and it's like no no you shouldn't be talking you should not be talking publicly about any of this because you actually should be in fucking therapy and talking about your mommy issues (laughs) <laughs> and all the ways in which that plays a role in the partners you choose. But uh-huh. yeah, that's the whole thing. Yeah, I think they probably choose this medium as their therapy in a way, I guess, because they can speak a lot more freely, um, a lot more recklessly in a way, whereas a, a therapist oh. will hold them a lot more accountable for their actions. And it's free. So, <laughs> but we all have to suffer for it. So, um but can you um elaborate a bit more on your creative process as both a multimedia artist and entrepreneur have the roles ever crossed over and blended into one another yeah so um i am a believer personally that everything just bleeds into everything in life Mm -hmm. like we can try and compartmentalize as much as we want but ultimately like anything that you have in one area is going to spill over into other areas I think that's just like human nature and so because I believe that I also feel like 
whatever skill sets I have ideally should work for one another. Um, and so it's like, I should be able to funnel my skill sets into whatever creative thing I'm doing. And then if I shift to another creative thing, I should still be able to funnel my skill set into that and it, it worked out. Um, and so me being somebody who is like visual um, because of the digital media background and like before I was, before I started writing, um, I used to like draw like way, way back in the day. And so I, in general, like I think in images and visuals and that plays a role in my poems because a lot of my poems are very like sensory a lot of times. Um, but then writing poetry and, you know, most of my poems are not too long because I have a slam background. So anyway, nothing can be like longer than like 2.30 for, for the most part. That helps me be really concise, which plays a large role in my script writing when it comes to the manga, because I don't need as much dialogue and as much space to say things because I'm used to writing um, more compact and like heavier, heavier lines. Mm -hmm. And so all of it like feeds into one another. I think I'm still trying to find, I'm still trying to find a balance between like switching modes um, because I noticed like when I'm really working on the manga, I'm not writing poetry that much. Like uh, this year and last year, I haven't written as many poems as I have in like previous years. But then when I switch into like poem mode, the manga like takes a back seat, um, which given everything that's happening with the manga right now, uh, it doesn't really have much space <laughs> in the back seat for real, for real. Um, so I'm still trying to figure out that balance between like switching back and forth. But I think the most beautiful part of it is that regardless of what I am or am not working on, I always feel like in some roundabout way, I'm still working on everything simultaneously because all the uh -huh. skills lead over. Yeah, I'm having difficulty with, um, I guess, managing both the, my podcast and my own writing. Like um, at this point, I've been doing the interviews for a year and a half. I've had this show for three years, but I've been doing the interviews for like a year and a half now. And they can be emotionally taxing, right? Mm -hmm. So um, in the fall, I've decided that the interviews are going to take a back seat. I mean, I still do like um, the movie reviews and the TV show or reviews, gaming and stuff like that stuff had took a back seat because of this, because I'm just so tired afterwards. So I can get back into doing that stuff and then take time out for my writing, which, you know, that in itself, as you know, as a writer can be also emotionally taxing as well. So I can't do both. I can only do one emotional, emotionally draining thing. I can't do both. So yeah, that's, I've, I've had difficulty with it. Like I would do a little bit of it, but it would be just so much that I couldn't do it anymore. You know, mm -hmm. I'll just do some of it one day and then I just wouldn't touch it again for another month. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. because it's so difficult, I've decided to have the interviews just take a back seat until next year. Um, but yeah, it's that's another thing I'm dealing with as well is managing the multiple things I have going on. And I feel like I have to have a multi multiple things going on because then I get bored. Yeah, anyway. yeah. <laughs> like looking at my calendars, I don't have nothing to do. I need to find something to do. But I have a bunch of other stuff that need to be done. I don't want to do it. I want to do something else. So absolutely. I, <laughs> I resonate with that heavily. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but what advice would you offer to other creators you wish someone would have told you when you first started? So it can be in the manga, it can be in the publishing business, it can be with the podcast, um, or with anything you feel like you wish someone would have told you when you first started and whatever it was. I think probably, I think probably the biggest thing, mm, let me not say the biggest. I've been trying to like not quantify stuff for like, build hierarchy when I'm talking about things but Mm -hmm. something that was really important um that I realized specifically when it came to like uh my experiences with poetry is that there's the blueprint people prescribe to you but that is not the only way to do things um and I, I would even go as far as to say there is no blueprint for real for real there is there's what is lucrative and what works for you. And there's what's lucrative and what works for somebody else. And those two things don't have to look exactly alike. You don't have to walk in those same steps. There can be overlap. Um, there are best practices, so to speak, but like there's no pipeline for any of this shit, uh, especially like creatively, right? Um, and if I had learned that sooner, uh, I probably would have had a different trajectory uh, with poetry. And I don't necessarily mean that in a negative way. Like I don't regret anything, but I have I have what I would term as a frictional relationship with like slam and poetry. Um, it's like a love-hate relationship. It's like that, it's like that one parent that like is equally as good as they are toxic. And so you can't even really decide like which which side you're leaning on. Um, and so, you know, it took me a while to like really figure out what it was I wanted to do for myself, like not based on what anybody else was prescribing to me. Um, and then that's the energy I carried in, into doing the manga. Um, but yeah, if I, if I had learned that sooner, uh, yeah, that would have been cool. <laughs> I could have avoided some stress. Yeah, I can definitely agree. Um, specifically with this podcast because in the beginning I was focusing a lot on like anime and a lot of the popular animes even though I didn't really watch them or I didn't really care for them I try to emulate what I saw in the anime world or nerd world or whatever you want to call it but it wasn't really doing anything for me so I just started you know watching and writing about stuff that interests me so Mm -hmm. like with the movie reviews um I was doing a bunch of Studio Ghibli films you know Mm -hmm. I wasn't doing Marvel or DC or any type of like Star Wars anything that was really popular I feel like they get enough free promotion you know so then I started focusing on like independent stuff that interests me I was like oh this is really interesting but nobody's talking about it Mm -hmm. um the same thing with like a lot of local events that go on here in Baltimore I feel like like a lot of people don't know that we have a comic con that's coming up on its 23rd year people mm-hmm. who are like 40 didn't even know that it existed mm-hmm. um and the same thing with like dungeons and dragons or any type of tabletop games or video game tournaments and stuff like that that a lot of um black people don't really know about because when i go to these things there are no black people mm-hmm. you know it's like slim pickings and that's why i try to like um 
I guess you can say journalize them in a way or show them out on social media because we a lot of us don't know about it or we're like too afraid mm-hmm. to go out and be a part of it. So that's why I wanted to uh, capture it in um, on like my social media posts and then start interviewing people as well. Because I feel like, again, a lot of us, we have the information, um, but we I guess we don't know how to share it or I guess you like you said the language to to know how to express this to other people like how do do I talk about money with my comics how do I talk about or find out things about shipping and with kickstarter like how does that work the crowdfunding how does that work um writing poetry how I mean I've written poems in school but I don't really know like the structure or formatting how does that go um publishing how does that work how do I get into that how do I create my own publishing company podcast how do I get into that things like that that's what I try to do on here um as well as um offering free promotion to people um when they're doing a kickstarter or crowdfunding or whatever it may be so this is a lot more fulfilling for me versus what i was trying to emulate initially three years ago there is a lot of power in being niche and i think like capitalism and our consumerist nature makes us feel like it's not like we have to appeal to the broadest range of people that we can because that's how you get the most profit but it's like nah that shit is not a necessity like you can be niche, you can make a sustainable living, you can make more than a sustainable living being niche, right? Because at the end of the day, like, ultimately, in my personal opinion, everything is niche until it's not, right? So it's like, at one point, all these things that we think are super dope in our mainstream, also we're niche to some degree. Marvel was not always a multi-billion dollar company, you feel me? Um, And so it's just like, we try to sometimes like skip and operate in like this higher space that is like, nah, there's a whole process of like just being your own that gets you there much more than like trying to be the thing. Um, yeah, yeah, hella important. hella important. Yeah, so throughout, I guess this whole process or just maybe even pursuing certain things in attempting to um, maintain them throughout however many years you've been doing them. Do you, or did you ever get overwhelmed? Does it ever become too much? And how do you typically manage your well, your mental well-being? So you talk about mental health, but how do you manage your mental health specifically? Yeah, hell yeah, I get overwhelmed. Uh, <laughs> life in and of itself is overwhelming to me sometimes, um, especially because, you know, I come from a low-income household, um, and that comes with, like, a lot of things. I grew up in a low-income environment that comes with a lot of things, and being intentional about healing comes with a lot of shit, right, Um, but I try to put a couple things in place um, to really set myself up for, like, mental success, and I don't stick to all of them every time because I'm human, right, but uh, I'm very big on guided meditation. Um, I'm also big on understanding that meditation does not necessarily have to be me sitting straight up with my legs crossed and my eyes closed, right? Like if I'm just laying on a bed with music playing in the background 
that can be a meditative state. So stretching, stretching my understanding of what some of these mental health practices look like has helped me to incorporate them in my life in a way that um, works for me and increases the chances of me engaging with it compared to if I'm trying to do like this set structured thing. Um, I'm a big advocate for uh, Unleash Your Mind on Netflix. It is like a Headspace app. I use it whenever I'm having trouble sleeping, um, just like on nights when I uh, have too much going on um, internally. It's like a 45 minute uh, guided sleep meditation. You can pick like the type of environment that you're in and like all this type of shit. That's pretty dope. Um, I'm a huge sensory person. So like having aromatic things like candles around and not like, not even just like, oh, I'm gonna light this candle to like take a bath or I'm gonna light this candle to like, you know, meditate. Sometimes I'll just light the candle just cause because the, the presence of the scents help me like get into a good space. Um, I am, I have become more of an advocate of listening to my body because it was not a practice that I was good at uh, previously. So if my body is tired, I don't fight through it. I stop whatever I'm doing and I either take a nap or I rest or what have you. If my body is hungry, I try not to do like the whole, well, I can eat after I'm done, like, because that's when I'll deserve it type of thing. Like, I just stop. I, I've really been trying to get into practice of like, whenever my body is telling me something, I honor it right there. And then in that moment, um, and no, and no, like, uh, having to earn my rest, right? Because I think that that is very much um, an American thing of like, you have to do a certain amount of things to be worthy of, of rest. And it's like, nah, actually, I don't got to do shit. I could have done nothing today and I am still deserving of rest because of whatever has happened prior to this, right? Um, and so, yeah, those are like a couple of my practices. I try to make sure that uh, everybody who I am in close proximity with has like a solid understanding of my mental health, um, the fact that I struggle with bipolar disorder. And so they can help me uh, be accountable. And the more, the more you communicate with your uh, support system, the more they understand of how to actually show up for you, right? Um, because like a lot of times, we don't communicate. And then when it is time for us to be helped, there's like extra work that we need to do to communicate because this person doesn't have any reference point for like what's going on. So I already have to push myself past capacity to tell them what is needed. But if I already have this practice of engaging in this dialogue with them, even before I reach my breaking point, once I do reach my breaking point, they already have a bunch of conversations and information to like lean back on to be like okay this is how it's best to show up for him in these moments when he's having these motions or operating in this way because I know this from these things that we've talked about prior um so keeping like transparent and vulnerable communication has, is also like my part of my mental health practice because it helps equip everybody to be able to help me in a way that works best for me because all help isn't good help and therapy of course therapy is amazing uh -huh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I struggle with, um, with the resting part. Um, I remember, uh, I believe it was like a month ago before I decided to take a break from the interviews, I felt empty physically mm -hmm. and like, um, 
emotionally, pretty much emotionally, mentally, physically, I felt empty. And I, and I, I don't think I've ever really felt like that before, you know, mm-hmm. and people are starting to asking for more and more interviews. And a part of me just doesn't know how to say no to things, mm-hmm. especially now that I'm pursuing this full time. I'm like, you can't afford to say no, but it's like, yeah, you can, because I think it was like maybe the next day, my body, it didn't really shut down. I think that's maybe over-exaggerating a bit, but I kind of got like, I got sick in a way. Mm-hmm. So, and I was sick for like maybe three days and I just really couldn't do anything. Mm-hmm. So I'm struggling with resting and listening to my body, like you said. Um, and then I don't have an issue with establishing boundaries. It's um, holding others accountable to those boundaries mm-hmm. in a way that I that I'm struggling with, um, and that's outside of the work that I do. Mm-hmm. And again, I really don't know how how to explain that more to you other than what I already told you. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what I'm struggling with. And again, I think I just need to allow myself some grace in a way, which I don't think I have ever since I started, like I've started pursuing this full time a year ago and I've just been going at it constantly ever since then. And I really don't know how to switch it off Mm -hmm. or pause or slow down, which again, I'm going to take time to figure out how to do that. And the thing is working in media is that you're constantly adapting. Yeah. So it is changing all the time. It's all the time. You know, my schedule this month is not the same as it was last month. Mm-hmm. You know, this week is going to be different from next week. Mm-hmm. And that's what, I mean, I like that. I don't really like the whole nine to five thing, the same thing every single day. It got really boring and mm-hmm. just tiring from how boring it was. So again, I'm just going to have to start making the adjustment and adapting to a, a new way of life that is more uh, sustainable in a way. Yeah. So. yeah, grace, grace and flexibility are also like two really big things that have helped like my mental health practice. Like even just working on like being intentional about the way I talk to myself, like internally and like holding my inner voice accountable the same way I try to hold other people accountable for how they talk to me and like not being too rooted honestly not being too rooted in anything for real for real because anything can like change at any moment and like I can appreciate whatever is happening I can plan based off whatever is happening but I just can't be or I try not to be tethered to to anything because then once it shifts I'm gonna go wherever the shift is as opposed to like where I might need to be type of thing um it's I feel like what one thing that I'm I'm really, really settling with is that publicly when we talk about mental health and like self-love and self-care, there are a lot of uh, tangible actions we talk about taking, like, oh, you know, having self-care days and going to the spa and like taking baths and all of that stuff is important. Um, but in my experience, a lot of like the crux of the work is the shit you can't even see. It's the stuff that like is not necessarily like a one-time action and it's the stuff that you have to work 
very intentionally over a period of time to shift and it still won't disappear. Like the self-talk thing, right? Like I intentionally try to talk to myself better and I still have days where I don't talk to myself that great, right? But that is like a huge part of the mental health practice because I could do all the self-care days I want if I'm not changing the way that I'm engaging with myself and my body then all I'm really doing is putting a band-aid on the things because I'm not fixing the core issue um and with most mental health things I would say like the core issue will always be like the self and that's not to say like we are the cause of all the things that exist inside us because obviously outside experiences impact us um but what we do with that impact is heavily dependent on us and how we develop from that impact is heavily dependent on us. Uh-huh. So my last question for you, Ganak, is what is your idea of success? You touched on it a little bit already, um, but I ask that as, because as creators, if we're not getting regular paychecks from a full-time job or making consistent revenue from our art, we're considered failures or we're considered ourselves failures. Uh, many of us will put our dreams and projects on a back burner or give them up altogether because this career path can be, let's say, highly intimidating and competitive. So what is your idea of quote-unquote success? Yeah, for me, um, success, first and foremost, is being financially sustainable I don't need to be rich I don't need to have a million dollars I don't even need to have a hundred thousand I just need to be able to take care of myself and those connected to me in a way that does not set me back right so that that's one part I have to be financially sustainable um I would like to be able to say I have impacted lives. That's part of what I deem like successful. And that doesn't even have to be in like a large way, right? Like I don't need anyone to kick a drug habit because they met me <laughs> or something like that. But it's like, if you had an interaction with me and you felt like I left this interaction with more than what I came in with, then I felt like I did something valuable. You feel me? Small scale. Um, I have to be happy, absolutely. Um, if I'm, if I have all these things and I'm not happy, then I'm not successful to me. I have to be very content and loving what I do and not like in that whole, like, when you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. Like, there's <laughs> gonna be work sometimes, but it's like, I feel like the work is worth it because I love it so much. It's the same as a relationship. Like, you're gonna yeah. have trouble with your partner, but you ride that shit out because you think they are worth that. Um, and so, yeah, sustainability, impact on whatever scale and my happiness are like the three biggest things I think um, that I, I consider make me successful. Um, in general, I think anything that's your purpose to do will have a positive impact on you and the people around you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, for me, it's pretty much the same, all three of those, um, sustainability, financially, um, the work ethic, and um, happiness. I, I don't see the work 
as an issue, I don't mind working. Um, even when I worked a full-time job, part-time job, whatever it may be, um, it was just, like I said, it was like, it was kind of boring, the same thing over and over again, which I, I enjoy having to adapt to make things work and make the constant adjustments. Um, that's, it kind of, it kind of keeps me on my toes in mm-hmm. a way, which I like. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, being able to continue to do what I do, even with the adjustments, even with cancellations, rejections, um, it, it, like I said, it, it keeps me, that, that is my, my happiness because like I said, you, you can still do the work, you know, yeah. still doing it is in my opinion is successful in a way, you know, mm-hmm. still a- being able to have interviews with people and talk to them about their creative processes and how they do what they do. Um, still having ideas and this imagination that won't really cut that won't really turn off it may be in the back of your head but it's still formulating and then when it's time for the ideas to come to the forefront when your mind I feel like my mind operates before I do you know Mm -hmm. it has stuff going on before I can even acknowledge it so Mm -hmm. I feel like when my mind is like oh you're ready to acknowledge it then it'll come to the forefront Mm -hmm. in a way I don't know mm-hmm. if that sounds weird. <laughs> uh, I, I fully, I fully subscribe to that thought process. Yeah. So still being able to do the work um, is success is success for me. So they'll because I think they'll you'll never have enough money and you'll never have enough time. Absolutely. So just continuing to do the work and trying to manage and maintain whatever it is you have in order to continue to do it is is successful yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah absolutely absolutely because everything is always going to be expensive uh-huh. <laughs> Get around that shit <laughs> um but is there anything else that you want to touch on about um the immortal dark manga or black mind publishing or uh, broke black and busy podcast that I may have missed or anything else that you want to touch on well you you brought up the kickstarter um mm-hmm. you did say by the time this interview drops it, it'll most likely be closed um which is cool and after the kickstarter does close i will make chapter two um available to the public um and so you know if you are watching this and you know it sounds interesting to you or you just want to learn more about the manga um, you can follow us at Immortal Dark Manga on Instagram, or uh, we now have a website up, so you can go to immortaldarkmanga.com, and there's information on the world, the characters, um, links to purchase chapter one. Um, yeah, and so I would definitely say check that out, and if you are a visual artist or poet watching this interview, my um, publishing company, Black Minds Publishing, uh, we have a monthly magazine that we run called Black Minds Mag. Um, submissions are always open from the 1st to 15th of every month. Um, so definitely feel free to check us out at Black Minds Publishing on IG and uh, submit some work. Uh, we only publish Black creatives, though. So if you are not of the African diaspora in some form, um, don't submit. <laughs> but if you are Black or Afro-Latino or Afro-Caribbean or, you know, anything that is Black mixed or just straight Black, that's perfectly fine. Uh-huh. 
All right. Well, again, I want to thank the multi-hyphenate artist and entrepreneur, James Church, aka Enoch, the poet, uh, the creator and writer of Immortal Dog Manga, founder of Black Mind Publishing, and co-host on the Broke, Black, and Busy podcast for joining us here today. Um, yeah, again, unfortunately, Immortal Dark's, um, Immortal Dark Manga's second issue Kickstarter will be over by the time this episode airs, but I highly recommend our listeners to consider giving Enoch's website a look and support if they can. All of Enoch's socials and website will be listed in this episode's details for those who are interested. Again, I am K.S. Garner, and you have been listening to the Solo Nerdberg Podcast. Thank you. <laughs>